us and we can read through the Bible together uh, in this new year. This is a standalone message, uh, just one I wanted to uh, simply walk through and, and give us encouragement and reminders uh, before we start our new series come next week. The plan right now, unless I change it, which I reserve the right to do, <laughs> we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, studying the book of Matthew to start the year. And I'm excited to do that. Um, uh, two guys that have been here to preach, uh, we're all going to write and preach together. So Bryce Hotchkiss and, and uh, my friend Mark Christian, both guys that filled in for me this last year, uh, they're going to be preaching through Matthew as well. And we wanted to do that together uh, this new year. So I'm looking forward to uh, writing with them and, and, uh, and just will be a great thing to partner with those guys again, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a blessing to us. Uh, so this morning, uh, reading from Revelation, it, it always gets people a little anxious. Revelation 2 and 3 is about the least crazy of all of it, so it, it's a good comforting zone. Uh, but I was reflecting on just a real simple question. How does Jesus measure his church? We have a lot of uh, sort of outside influence as to what makes a good church and what makes a bad church? Uh, you walk in and you get a, a new person coming to church and they'll start looking around and, and you know, I, I don't know what, it's been a long time since I've been a new person walking into church. Um, but, they, you know, they probably look at, you know, the layout or is there things for the kids and are there all these, you know, other things that are just sort of like stuff that we should, probably should think about. Uh, but uh, but I don't, you know, I just get up and preach, that's what I do. But, uh, uh, but anyways, uh, how do we measure church? Uh, is, you know, does it have the music we like? Does it, does it have all of, does it hit all of the check marks for all the preferences that we have? Um, I'm really not interested in that. Uh, your opinion, while it might matter to you, uh, really, whose opinion matters about the church? It's Jesus's. And so, you know, when we think about using a measuring stick, and that's not to say, that came off really rude, and perhaps it is rude, and that's all right. But uh, um, what I mean by it is, is that our focus should be on Christ. Our focus should be on what is it that he desires for his church. How does God look at his church and compare it or consider it uh, healthy and good? And Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is a picture of that sort of measuring tool that Jesus is using to say, this is a faithful church. This church measures up to my expectations. Uh, and so what we should do, you know, like now's the time of year where I start thinking about dieting. You know, you, you, know, you start thinking about and planning and, and you have the measurements. You know, I, I can tell you what my waist is right now. And I can tell you I stepped on the scale on the first of the year. And I thought, okay, that needs to come down a little bit. And so I would like to look at today's message as one of those things where we get a good gauge on ourselves, on our hearts, on our life together, on what God expects of the church and where we're at. You know, and so... What I want for this sermon to be is a good sort of measuring stick, but what I don't want it to be is filled with guilt and shame and make us feel like, man, we're the worst church ever, because I don't believe that in any sense. But I also know that in each area of our life, we can look to God's standard and say, you know, God set the bar here, 
And we should desire to honor God with our whole lives. And there's nothing wrong with asking us to reach that height. What's wrong is, is when we make people feel like they're garbage because they haven't reached that. But I think all of us could say that we could grow in our faith and life together in Christ. And what does that look like and how do we get there? In Revelation 2 and 3 is Jesus assessing the churches. We get in the opening part in chapter 1 is this incredible vision of Christ. And his speaking is like trumpets blasting and waves, uh, ocean waves crashing. And he, he is a picture of majesty and justice and righteousness. And it's this Jesus who we get a sense of, and it says that he's surrounded by the stars. And the stars are the churches. And so the picture that John paints in chapter 1 is Jesus with his church. Jesus can assess the heartbeat of his church because he is right there with them. He knows their struggles, he knows their pains. And the way Revelation 2 and 3 read is Jesus intimately knowing the pressures and temptations, the shortcomings and faithfulness of his church. And what I get from that immediate chapter is that God wants to be with his church. He is with us, Christ is with us. And he wants to lift us up and encourage us and call us towards faithfulness, righteousness, love, and peace together. So if you would join with me in following along, we're going to read good chunks of Revelation 2 and 3. And we're just going to draw a couple of highlights from it and hopefully have a challenge and encouragement from it. And so Jesus then begins addressing the churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So that's Jesus is there among the church with the angels addressing the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will call to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. So right out of the gate, we get a church that uh, Jesus is commending their faithfulness, their deeds, their hard work, their perseverance. He loves that they have stuck to this. I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing. You've been steadfast and faithful in this. You also, when you look at the wickedness of the world and maybe the wickedness of people that have come in, and whatever that might have been, that sort of pulling away from the love of God and, and perhaps even innocence or a rejection of sin, these folks, whatever is going on, they, they are hearing their falsehoods and they're saying, no, Jesus is Lord, Jesus forgives, only Jesus is the way uh, to a life with God. He says, you have persevered in this. You haven't given up in this. And so don't grow weary in this good thing. 
But then he, he says, okay, here's the good thing. The, the hard thing is, is that you have forsaken the love you had at first. And the love that you, they had at first, we imagine, is a love for Jesus Christ. A love for God and his love for them. And he says, consider how far you've fallen from that. And this is a careful rebuke, I think, for us as a church. Do we forget what we loved at first? When I think about what I loved about my wife at first, do I still remember that same love? And the answer is, of course I do, right? I, you know, I would never forget all the things I love about my wife. Have we forgotten what it is that we love about Jesus? And we haven't grown so familiar with him that we just sort of take him for granted. But that we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love because he loved us. We love because he poured his life out for us. We love because he modeled service and humility in his life. What are the reasons why you love Jesus? Why do you love him? Don't forget why you gathered together today, why you tuned in online to worship and celebrate Jesus. He's forgiven you. He's given you new life. He's given you hope and encouragement and despair. He's been faithful. He sent his spirit. He's promised his coming uh, again. Consider the many ways in which you love Christ and he's drawn you to him. Don't forget your first love in Christ. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, in uh, verse 8. These are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know you're a afflictions and your poverty yet you are rich i know about the slander of those who say they are jews and are not and are a synagogue of satan do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer i tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days be faithful even to the point of death and i will give you life as your victor's crown in verse 11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the one who is victorious, will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, Smyrna is the only church that doesn't get the rebuke. They've just been faithful. They have endured great suffering. They have stood for Christ. They have faced pressure. They have endured so much that... Christ's word to them is just to say, it may seem like you don't have anything, but you are rich in me. You are rich in Christ, and you have life, and keep pressing forward. So his encouragement to Smyrna then is followed by Pergamum. The angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. That doesn't sound like a very nice place to live. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And so to this church, they are commended. They are facing great trials 
through the sort of compromise of their faith and the threatening of life. They are in the city of Satan. They are, in the, they are where Satan has his throne. This is to say that there is much, uh, there's a great deal of adversaries that are threatening their faith. And that what they are doing is enticing them away from the worship of God, the worship of Christ, and they are muddying the waters of food sacrifice to idols, enticing them towards sexual immorality. And while this may seem like a distant world to us, we still live in a world that leads us away from the worship of Jesus and leads us down, to path, down paths of sexual immorality. We see this every day in our, uh, in our lives, whether it's on social media or whatever social media tool you're using, or if you're just walking down the street, it seems like there are temptations and things enticing us away from the worship of God. And Jesus is saying to the church, for those that have remained true to my name, I commend you. And some of you need to repent. Some of you need to turn back to me. You're all in with me. You love me with your whole heart. Don't be led astray by all of this immorality and temptations around you. We look at Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira in verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one, I will also give that one the morning star, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, Thyatira is, you know, one big, warm, fuzzy blanket, isn't it? He commends them. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. That you, in fact, are doing more than you did at first. But he says, I have this against you. You tolerate things that are going to bring you harm. You're tolerating this Jezebel. She calls herself a prophet. She says that she knows something that you otherwise don't know. She has secrets for you, conspiracy theories, things that will enlighten you and help you understand the world better. And before we dismiss this Jezebel quickly, I think we need to understand that we live in an age in which 
it's hard to know what is true and what isn't. We popularized, or at least uh, Donald Trump did, the term fake news. So it's hard for us now to even determine what's true and what's right. Where do we trust the source? Where do we get our information? And I suppose if we did a survey this morning of what's true and what's not and what's accurate, we could probably get a hundred different opinions about what's true and what's right. Conspiracies and temptations to lead us down paths that, of uncertainty and misunderstandings. Things that lead us towards immorality. Things that cause us to think that some other person would somehow be less a human being because they think one thing and I think another. There is divisiveness. There's idolatry, adultery. There's all sorts of things that sort of lead our hearts astray. And Jesus says, this is a very real problem in Thyatira. And I think it's still a very real problem today. Where do we find truth? Where do we find what is true and good and righteous? What is righteous and true? And the trouble with the statement I'm making right now is some of you might be tempted to think, yeah, I hope someone else is listening to this message. I hope we all are listening. Jesus Christ is the truth. His word is the truth. His spirit in you is the truth. And we must spend much more time on our hands and knees in prayer seeking the Lord of truth. That we might seek justice and peace and righteousness and love. That we would cast those things out of our life that are leading us down rabbit holes that maybe turn our hearts and our love for God away from him. That's what idolatry is. And we make idolatry of money and politics and our things and our family and sports and all sorts. You know, what is it that's pulling my heart away from Christ? Here's this little test I do. I get, I get on rabbit holes on Twitter and it's bad. And I'll get going fixated on something. And the question I need to ask myself is, is do I love Jesus more because I went down this rabbit hole? Do I trust in him more? Because I started listening to these different people and these different voices. Am I listening to the voice of Christ more than any other voice in my life? That's the measuring stick. And we're all, we're all guilty of listening to things that maybe we shouldn't have listened to in the last year. What is the truth? And this message calls us back to Jesus, calls us back to believing and trusting in Him and His Word. And that's a real challenge for us. A real challenge for the church, and I believe that as we do this, as we return back to it, as we listen to what Jesus' counsel is to them, is that there are very real consequences if we don't turn back to Christ but if we do, then all the churches will know that Jesus is Lord. He searches our hearts. He searches our minds. And he will repay us for our deeds. We don't talk about that enough. Jesus is looking for our faithfulness, our love, our service, our kindness towards one another. He's looking at our hearts and what we do. 
So he says to us, to those who are victorious and do my will, in the end, I will give authority over the nations. God will bless you as you seek his will and honor it with your life. I don't know how to sugarcoat that or make it any lighter, but we need that message, don't we? The reminder that we've been listening maybe to the wrong voices. And so I say it with the most tender and pastoral heart that I have. Stop listening to the things we shouldn't be hearing and listening to the one who loves you and laid down his life for you. Who are you listening to? Come back to him. He cares for you. We won't preach uh, through Revelation 3 today, but read those and it'll make sense. And what I just want to highlight, what I just want to highlight for us is just kind of what comes from this text. And there are just quick little things here, little nuggets that remind us what are the characteristics of the church that is uh, commended by Christ? It's perseverance and faith. It's sticking to what we've set out to do. There are so many times in our life where to persevere in situations, uh, Mason doesn't want the attention, but he ran a really long ways this year, and that's great, and I'm so proud of him. That's perseverance. That's persevering to the end. And I was talking to him this morning. He was a little bit shy on his money for like the whole, the whole thing. And then this last month, God really just blessed his socks off and he got over the goal that he wanted for second mile. God honored that. That's perseverance. If he would have quit halfway, I don't think we would have dug deep into our pockets. You know, I wouldn't have written that $20,000 check for him. And uh, uh, I don't think it was that much, but... Uh, the, uh, but anyways, but he stuck with it, and he doesn't want that attention. It's not about him and whatever. We know that. But that's perseverance. It's sticking to what we set out to do, and we have set out in our faith to say, I will love God and honor him with my life. It's characteristics that Christ look for, looks for in his church is service and love. It's not just a church that serves one another, but a church that serves its community, that shares the love of Christ. When God looks at his church, he wants to see people not with this sort of high and mighty nose in the sky, chest puffed up, but he wants to see us with our serving aprons on, loving and caring for one another. That's what God looks for in his church, and I know that's what he looks for in his church because that's exactly what God did when he walked with us. He loved and he served and he cared for others. It is not about the music. It's not about our preferences. It's not about the programs. It's about your hearts serving others. And this last year, I've been so grateful for people who, despite all of the craziness, all of the things, and all the headaches, all of the nonsense, they've been people who said, you know, I know what needs to be done today. It's love people and serve them. That was true last year, and it's true today that the very best way to move forward as a church is to serve one another and serve our community. Bless and encourage, care for people, serve them meals, invite folks into your home, love people, right? That's, the t that's a healthy church, people loving and caring for one another. Hard work and good deeds are celebrated in Revelation and 2-3. Jesus looks at his church and he's saying, man, those guys are not lazy. They have put their nose to the grindstone and they know that the kingdom of God is breaking into this world and they're not giving up on it. 
And they keep serving and loving because they believe God's goodness has broken into the world and no amount of evil is going to discourage them from the goodness that's in their heart to share it with those in their community and with their church family. So God, he measures his church and he says, there's a church that loves good old-fashioned hard work of goodness in the world. It takes hard work to bring goodness and kindness in the world. There's witness in the face of persecution, suffering for the sake of Christ. Over and over again, Jesus looks at them and he says, you know what, despite the pressure from the government, despite pressure from Roman rulers, despite pressure from neighbors, despite pressure from Jews who don't yet understand, despite all of this, you've been faithful and you've stuck to your testimony. Who do you say Jesus is? And don't ever waver in Jesus being your Lord, your King, your Savior. Jesus, we might not get anything else right, but that's what we got to get right. Who is Jesus? And He's our Lord and our King. So there's truth, truthfulness. We hang on to the truth. A church that God looks at and says, you know, I commend you for this. It's hanging on to the truth of Christ. It's remaining uh, true to Christ despite social and political difficulties. It's living righteously and not tolerating wickedness. And so as we look at what Christ commands, then there's also what's condemned. It's falling away. It's forsaking our love. It's easily being persuaded by false doctrines, false teaching, not knowing the Word of God well enough uh, that if we hear something that sounds nice, we just go along and believe it leading uh, folks into sexual immorality, compromising our witness and our loyalty to Christ. What's condemned by Christ is listening to things that would lead us away from a love for God and an understanding of Jesus and his sacrifice. I spent the last year uh, kind of walking through the Old Testament. Maybe you got a little bit tired of that, but reading Hebrews uh, and its understanding of Christ And looking back at Deuteronomy, and we looked at Deuteronomy, and we studied quite a bit of Exodus, we understand where we came from and the sacrifices and the life of the Israelites so that we would know the power and victory that is is found in Jesus' sacrifice. We understand the old sacrificial system so that we can elevate the sacrifice of Christ and that there is no other sacrifice greater than Jesus on the cross. And so we celebrate that, and we understand, hopefully, uh, by walking through it, that we understand what it means to follow Christ and love Him and His sacrifice. So uh, we also uh, see in chapter 3, having only the reputation of being alive, but being dead. They're faking it. They're not genuine in faith. It's all show and no substance. Busyness in faith, the appearance of fruit, but no real fruit. And so that's uh, the church of Laodicea. There's lukewarm in their faith. They say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, do not need a thing, and they don't realize their own pitiful state. This church is sort of blind to their wealth and thinking that everything in their life is cozy and, and good, unaware of their need for Christ and His forgiveness and His power. You know, a church that's dying is a a church that's not praying. 
A church that's dying and not healthy is a church that doesn't understand its need for Jesus Christ and his power in its life. So Revelation 2 and 3 is commending faithfulness and perseverance and prayer and righteousness and truth and steadfastness and faithfulness, serving and kindness. And what it's condemning is this sort of error of judgment on ourselves that we are okay without Jesus. This error of judgment that we can get through without Christ. This error of judgment that we are sufficient, self-sufficient. This error of judgment that we can find strength and power, or strength in positions of power and influence. This error of judgment that we would find out something in this world that uh, is mysterious and a conspiracy. You know, this error of judgment about our assessment of the world when really we need to have an assessment of our hearts. Do I love Jesus and do I trust in him? So Jesus then, we have what he commends, we have what he condemns, and what does he challenge? He challenges us to repent and turn towards his love. He challenges us to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we ask questions, am I loving what Christ love, loves? Am I listening to the Spirit of Christ? He commends and challenges a church to not be afraid. And so we ask the question, do I trust in Jesus and in what areas in my life can I grow in that trust? He challenges us to be faithful even to the point of death. We may not know what we face in the year ahead, but will I suffer for Christ and his sake? Have I died to my old life and live a new life with Jesus? Do I, uh, and he challenges us to do the will of Christ, to walk with Christ. Will I walk with Jesus in this new year? And friends, if we take up some of these challenges, if we will be a people who are not afraid and listen to the Spirit and repent and turn towards love, then I anxiously look forward to the letter that Jesus would write his church in Etna Green. I commend you for loving what you first loved. I commend you for your perseverance in your faith. I commend you for though there was difficulty and suffering and people didn't understand your faith in me, you stuck to it knowing that Jesus is true and Jesus is good. I look forward to the letter that's written about Etna Green. When Jesus looks at us and he says to us, you have loved me with your whole heart. You have given yourself to me. You have trusted and believe that I am Lord and King and Savior and that the kingdom of God has come. You laid down your life for your neighbor. You served them and you loved them. You cared for the children in your community. You blessed them with the abundance of blessings in your life. You cared for the elderly and the widows and you ministered to them and you prayed with them. You cared for one another and their losses. You mourned with those who mourned. You, you celebrated with those who had great joy. Despite your, differences and under, uh, despite your differences that were brought on by the world, you found unity because you are made new in Christ. You came together whether you were vaccinated or unvaccinated. You came together if you were wearing masks or not wearing masks. You came together whether you're Democrat or you're, you're Republican. 
You came together if you were white or black. You came together if you were male or female. You came together as one because Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe that to be true. You came together as one. Despite all of the pressures, despite all of the immorality, despite all of the things that would make you think that what you believe right now about Jesus isn't true, you held on and you loved me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. Let Jesus write that letter about you. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for today. We thank you for this new year, and when we measure the church, may it be measured by your love and your grace and your mercy today. And Lord, we have fallen short, and we know this. And so examine our hearts and lead us, Lord, through your spirit. Forgive us where we have failed. Forgive us where instead of serving, we've decided to turn a blind eye to the needs around us. Lord, where we could have been generous, we chose greed. Where we could have loved, instead we walked away. Lord, for our failures, we know that there is grace and forgiveness today. And so we lay it before you, asking for your mercy and your kindness to be poured out on us. And for the year ahead, God, we don't know the pressure, we don't know the temptations, we don't know the struggles, but we know two things, that there will be opportunities to compromise and there will be opportunities, Lord, to stand strong. So I pray, Lord, for your spirit to give us courage and perseverance and faith. Lord, fully knowing that we can have this victory because Jesus is victorious. That we can have this hope because Jesus is our hope beyond all of this. Lord, so as you measure the church, we know you measure it by the grace of the cross. It's your mercy and your love poured out for us. So Lord, where we need to repent, lead us. Lead us back to you. Let us not forget the love that we had at first. And the good deeds and the kindness, Lord, let it multiply tenfold. And where we have doubts, where we have insecurities, where we feel like we might be disqualified, where we feel like we may not have enough or be enough, remind us that you are with us and that in you, we have all that we need. As the love of the cross continues to pour out in our life, may it overflow in the lives of one another and into our community. Give us courage and strength now through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.